Dear Cosmo Babies, on this week's episode, we are talking about imposter syndrome. I'm your host, Annie McArthur, and I have my wonderful co-host with me today, Aaron Gray, and one of our favorite, most favorite people to join us on this episode, Alicia Dotson, aka Main Seamstress. All right, let's just jump right into it and get talking about imposter syndrome, because I think this is something that everybody experiences and not everyone talks about. And I think we need to normalize this conversation. Yeah. Anyone was like the first time in the industry that you felt like, oh, shit, like day one of cosmetology school. (laughs) (laughs) I like sat down probably like halfway through like school that day. And I was sitting there like, what the hell did I get myself into? I know nothing. I know nothing, you know, but I think that's how most people feel. But we don't talk about it. And I think we're all scared because I think we go into it like I'm supposed to know everything already. And I'm supposed to be here Mm -hmm. just to get my license. And I'm already supposed to be like super passionate and knowledgeable. And I knew nothing. Yeah. Or you're like supposed to look a certain way or like be a certain type of person. I, I think also, you know, when you went into cosmetology school, you were like what we would call like an elder student. We're over 22. <laughs> yes. You know, and I think, I think that can be really difficult to feel like, I mean, you know, you're, you're in your late twenties or you're in your thirties or, I mean, I, I've had students who were in their forties and fifties before who were older than me at the time, you know, and, and they had entire lives. I mean, they had entire lives and they'd had careers before and, Suddenly they were back in school and the feeling was like, oh man, like one of these things is not like the other, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think they always kind of felt a little out of place. And I think everybody, everybody's journey is just so different. You started, you definitely started a little bit later on that second licensure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I was pre-licensed. So I went to school pretty much after high school, got my aesthetics license, but was 26 when I went back for cosmetology school and it really did felt like just a complete beginning again, you know, in a total mm-hmm. part of my life. Well, you know, I'm not licensed. Like, and the big joke is always like, I play a hairdresser on Instagram. But I definitely, I mean, I constantly, I mean, I call you and whine about it because I think a lot of times it is really easy for me to feel like a total fraud, right? Like I'm totally. here, I'm here, I'm getting it. But so I'm like taking let me tell you all about what hairdressers want and love and whatever and I am not a hairdresser not a hairdresser but I do think that that the way I have to reframe that for myself is that is that my like degree in marketing and my degree in journalism and the path that I took the industry give me a different skill set and and that's the part that makes me unique as opposed to making me an imposter and so for me it's really important just for my mental health, that I reframe that into a positive when I can, because it is a really easy trap to fall into, you know? Oh, absolutely. What about you, Elisa? Sure. When's that like first memory of feeling like oh, you were an God, imposter? My first, my first memory was actually starting in a salon, like going through an apprenticeship program and getting on the floor. Because I went through, so it was cosmetology school was a little different for me. I went through it and they were starting like magnet programs in high school. So I started while I was in high school. So for me, it was just like, I found my people. 
mm-hmm. during school. So it wasn't a weirdness until I am 18 and I'm managing hairdressers that are my mom's age. I was like, this is weird. But I am I supposed to be here? So that was probably the moment that my first memory is like going into hair and just feeling like, I, I don't know if I'm, am I supposed to be here? Like that, the inner saboteur started waking up again. You were given a lot of responsibility very early on in your career, weren't you? Totally. Yeah. Because I'm a little bit of an overachiever. So, you know, so it's never enough to do or be natural, you mean supernatural. So I was like, I'm just going to keep going. So I had a lot of responsibility and I didn't realize it. And then also I just didn't come into here. I could not relate. When you started really connecting with creative, I did it come from the background of like, yeah, it's playing with dolls. And, you know, like I was doing hair. That was not what I was doing as a kid. I just didn't grow up doing that. I mean, I play with G.I. Joe's and I was teaching classes. Like I had all of my animals around, you know, like stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. And doing schoolwork with that as well. Doing schoolwork. I'm sitting here like pretending to drive and yelling at the kids. Like it'd be yeah. hilarious. <laughs> Trying to mom my sister. So I yep. just did it. I didn't come from like, oh my gosh, I wanted to like cut all my Barbies hair. Like I did not play with Barbies. Barbies were like, no. So it's just very different. And going into a salon where you're de- where you're talking to people who've been in the industry for 20 years. And I'm like, I always knew I wanted to do this. I'm like, really? Like, really? What is that like? Yeah. Really? So if you're not careful, you do find yourself. I did find myself like, you know, sitting there like, I don't know if this, are you supposed to be here? Mm-hmm. And kind of like what Aaron was saying earlier, just kind of, it takes time to really get to that space of, just owning the space that you take up, you know, like I'm really just being content in the space that you occupy. And, and that was a road, but I'm so glad I'm there. Absolutely. When do you feel like you actually started really coming into that owning of the space that you were taking up? Oh, probably God. It's like last week. (laughs) (laughs) It's a day by day practice. An hour ago. No, I would say probably it's been in the last like few years. I know. It's like mm-hmm. when you start just really owning where you've been, because I think you start, there's nothing better than like hearing someone like revealing than hearing someone else tell you like, you have this. Cause you know, when you're telling yourself, you're like, okay, I need to do this. I need to do that. Like you're on your, your own worst critic, but at least I am. So having my clients tell me this wasn't your automatic career. I can tell, you know, but so probably say midway through the, through the career, kind of something that as you're going, you start recognizing that you're owning it. I think it's what an important you? thing to like a, almost like a disclaimer to say, because the, the three of us right now in this conversation, we're, I would say, 15 to 20 years into our professional beauty careers Mm -hmm. that all three of us are somewhere in that space of timeline. And I would have to agree with you. I think it's really within the last, for me, probably three years, I actually am starting to feel like I am occupying my space. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I don't think that's not everyone is going to take that long. 
But I don't think that people are so open about the fact that like even 15 years into a career, you're just starting to feel like you occupy the space that you take up, you know, because mm-hmm. imposter syndrome can feel and and be prevalent that for that long. Mm-hmm. You know, what about you, Erin? Like, when did you start to feel like you started occupying your space and that I mean, imposter syndrome went away? I, or has it? I, I don't think it has. Like, you know, I, I think about it. And one of the things that like triggers me the most into that, I definitely feel, I feel better about intellectually where I'm at in the industry, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Valuing my opinions, my ideas and strategies where I really feel like a fake is when we have to like get dressed and go to an event. <laughs> Yeah. I live my like 99% life in like yoga pants and like, like I'm like the quintessential like gap girl. Like, you know what I mean? And then, and then you go to an event and you've got your like hairdresser hat girl, you know, you know, the mm-hmm. one they've got all the extensions of their little hat, like on like this. And it's really cute. And I look like a farmer in those, like, and I'm just like, and I'm not like cool and grungy, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't fit into that cool like hairdresser, like Doc Martens and ripped up jeans. Like, look, I'm just, I'm like a soccer mom, guys. That is who I am through and through. I'm just not that cool. And so to have to like go be extroverted with people who are like infinitely cool and like have their hats on is. Very difficult. And I'm immediately like, okay, this girl right here does not belong in this whole scene. So that is, I still, I still struggle with that. I think like, I think I was able to embrace my nerdiness and my like mom when we went to Tokyo recently, you know, because, because that was such an easy environment to like be very nurturing and make sure everybody arrived alive and, you know, safe and like accounted for and had eaten and had a snack and and so that that I think was a lot easier for me but yeah I mean every day every day I'm like not 100% certain for sure so a follow-up question on this because I feel like a lot of people listening to this podcast episode are going to identify with what you just said Mm -hmm. super hard because I'm thinking back right now to Little Annie in cosmetology school, listening to what you just said, being like, you know what? I'm worried about fitting into those cool kid groups too. I don't look good in hats either. I feel like there are clusters in our industry Mm -hmm. of you either have to fit into group A, B, C, or D. That's it. You know, there's Mm -hmm. nowhere else to go. Why do you feel like you can't just be Aaron? Why do you feel like you have to put a mask on and and pretend to be somebody you're not? We just turned this into a therapy session, y'all. I know. So I think it's really easy to look at this industry and see those like kind of main groups, right? And I think a lot of that is social media. And it's like the feeds that were, you know, being presented. And you see like, like if you were to talk about like the hairdresser cliches, right? Like you'd have your like, you'd have your super like product heavy you know, hairdressers who like only talk about like one particular product. You have your people who are like, like your extension girls, you've got your like um, vivids, you know, folks. And mm-hmm. I mean, like there are these like very, and then you've got your like cool grungy ones. You've got your hairdresser hat girls. Like 
you know, like you, you have these types of people and it's presented to us and branded so hard that when you don't feel like you fit into one of those, you know, very small boxes, you think like, well, this is all that's out there. And I think that what I found helps me is like for events, finding the right events, you know, like mm-hmm. events that really fit me. Yeah. And I think that you translate that into finding the right salon or finding the right work environment for you. Mm-hmm. And there are so many. I mean, that's what's so amazing about this industry is there really is, there's a place for everything. Like, like I am a person who is not a hairdresser and is actively making my living in the hairdressing community, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so even something that is very different from the norm still has a place here. And that's really kind of the beauty of our industry is that, is that it, it really is so diverse and welcoming. And when you dive deep, you know, and you, and you walk away from that mainstream and, and what we're being presented on Instagram, you realize that, okay, wait, the world isn't like just full of like lip syncing Kim Kardashians. Like there are other people and maybe I am normal and maybe <laughs> I do have a place to fit in. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like we aren't all playing private and, you know, with like a hundred cc's of you know restylane in our lips so mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i changed my environment and i felt i felt better yeah when we travel with people like us who are very very invested in the industry i feel safer and i feel like i could be me mm-hmm. when we go to events with educators who are delivering real education and the emphasis is you know is on learning and it's on real value as opposed to picture ops with like insta famous hairdressers like those are those are my people right like so that's where that's where i i feel safe i feel safe with students because they i connect with them and i understand where they're at in their career so Mm -hmm. yeah change your environment what about you elise i love that what do you think was that like pivot point for you i am gonna Piggyback off of what Erin said is just, I think what we, what we really initially go into this is seeking a connection, like finding our tribe. But once we get into this industry and, and I'll just put it in the first person. Once I got into this industry, I forgot that you can just stop there. You still want to find and connect with your tribe. And I think social media has definitely affected how you view that because then you start looking to, well, am I this? Like, am I this type of person? Mm-hmm. Am I am I the hairstylist that does I'm all day? Or mm-hmm. the, like, I'm the hairstylist that has to do haircut and color. Or And before you know it, you lose yourself. And mm-hmm. so really just coming in and finding what brings joy to you. And you, a lot of times you get so overwhelmed with like, this is Disney, you know, like I'm in, I'm in this space. I get to be my weird, quirky self and nerdy self. And then you start seeing like, wait, but I really geek out on this. And I don't really, I don't really need to see 12 different 
vivid colors every day in my chair. You know, is that weird? Before you know it, it's like a slow erosion. Like you, before you know it, you are the person wearing the, the hat, <laughs> even though you don't ever wear them. Or you are the person that's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, do like the, you know, mohawk or whatever, like whatever it is. I'm going to do that. And that's not really your jam, you know? For me, weirdly enough, it went through like therapy sessions we're going to do it. For me, it was really going through the phase, especially when we started having like this natural movement that went through a while back. It, I feel like it's phasing out too, but when we went through this whole like natural where everyone's wearing like their afros and all of that, I was like, I really like smoothing out my hair <laughs> and having to own that, you know, but you went, I went through that phase of like, that was another moment where you're like, okay, yeah, I'm, I don't wear a relaxer, but I also like having versatility in how I style my hair, whether it's wearing, you know, my hair in an Afro or wearing my hair smooth and in a bob and just really feeling safe in that space. I mean, there, it's so, complex and I think you can get lost in the stuff, you know, even in this industry. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so we all feel fake. Like we're all trying to say we're not. You know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no wonder we are I and I feel like we're seeing it so much more. And I think that we all are just I think we all deal with it. I think everyone is dealing with this. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's part of the importance of having the conversation so openly about imposter syndrome and all of those types of things, because everyone at some point feels that way. For sure. You know, whether we talk about it or not, but I think it's, I think it's such a beautiful thing about being able to talk about it is that people are going to connect with that so heavily and be able to find those things and be able to, that will help them move forward through it and figure Mm -hmm. it out for themselves, Mm -hmm. you know? I think a big part for me was figuring out part of my journey of like figuring out who I actually am was weeding out who I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And getting rid of those pieces of myself, you know, That's of true. like, I don't like this about myself or I don't, I don't want to be like that. Or, you know, so I'm going to make sure and make those conscious efforts to not do those things or not be those things or say those things or wear those things or act that way or like any of those things that like mm-hmm. didn't add up to me being the the true person that I am or feeling like I'm presenting myself in the most authentic way possible. I will also say, you know, <laughs> I agree. Amy and I, Amy and I are both sober. And we are. Like, so we don't drink. And it hasn't always been that way. And, and like, we just, so we used to go to events and, like the champagne was the first thing we hit. Oh yeah, because we felt like like we needed that liquid courage mm-hmm. to be extroverted, right? And that's like mm-hmm. probably such a problem, right? But I will be uh, honest yeah. about that, you know. And that is a conversation yeah. I am willing to have openly with people, for sure, for you sure. Know? And I feel like in this industry, and maybe more like when we were coming, there was like this like kind of like rock star vibe, like every mm-hmm. like especially like at events and stuff like celebrity hairdressers definitely felt like they were like rock stars like in their leather pants their bedazzled shirts like you know drugs are drugs are prevalent in this industry mm-hmm. yeah and there definitely is this kind of like feeling of well you know you gotta 
you got to do this. And something that's been really, really freeing thing for both of us is just being able to be like, you know what? I don't, I don't really enjoy drinking and I don't feel good the next day. I'm a thousand years old and my body doesn't handle it as well anymore. You know? And so like just making that personal choice, like, yeah, I, I'm okay to like, like just me is going to have to be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Like not, not me plus, me plus mm-hmm. shit or me plus white wine. Like just me is going to have to be okay. But it was, it was very uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable for probably the first two years because it felt like you would have a couple of glasses of wine and you could like suddenly be the person that you thought everybody needed you to be at those events. Mm-hmm. And I think that we do that with a lot of things. Right, absolutely. That costume and those masks, and I think it is. While it's hard to let go of those security blankets, it is okay to be you, and it is okay. It is okay to come into your own and like take on that power of like this is just unapologetically who I am. Yeah, and we're not saying that everyone needs to be sober. Like, yeah. good Lord, no. For Aaron and I, <laughs> no. that was the <laughs> right decision. And the, you know, I would have never made that choice 10 years ago. Yeah. I am just real old and real tired. So. Yeah. And the kind of interesting thing, too, just like kind of dabbling on our little sober journey was that Aaron and I became sober around the same time, but it was not a conversation that was had. Mm-hmm. It was almost like this like moment that both of us were like, I don't think that we can continue putting on this front of these people that we're pretending to be. And I think it was like it happened around the same time and both of us just started yeah. saying, no, th- no, thank you. No, thank you. You know, yeah. and I would say that we I mean, oh, my God, also not to make this like some variety, or like, but I would say that we did not lose friends, but the people that we were around were suddenly different. The conversations mm-hmm. were different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I attribute a lot of that, not not so much to the alcohol, some of it, because we just weren't up at 2 a.m. in, you know, at the after party anymore. <laughs> we were in the room with room service and chocolate chip cookies. So, but I do, I do think the conversations became more meaningful, right? Because they were coming from real us, not mm-hmm. super fun Aaron because super fun Aaron doesn't exist that's not she's not <laughs> real girl and so it 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 allowed it almost gave you permission to like just really be who you were mm-hmm. you know yeah step away from that I don't know if either of you have experienced this with your imposter syndrome at all but for me I something that I look back on is that in those situations where you are like heavily like oh my gosh what am I doing here who am I I don't know Mm -hmm. if I belong or stuff I ended up saying yes to a lot of situations that I wish I would have said no oh yeah or I had a bigger workload on myself where I wish that I wouldn't have and and this Mm -hmm. goes directly back to like like salon life like I would say yes to taking a client at 8 p.m at night and I'd Mm -hmm. be at the salon until midnight and because I was like, well, I have to, I have mm-hmm. to take this client. 
I have to prove that I can do this. I have to show and that I belong here. Yeah, that 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 my my work is valuable and that I'm valuable and my and I can you know it's like that that voice inside of your head that's like no you can't say no to a client you have to say yes to everything that walks through that door and for me that was such a big part of my imposter syndrome of trying to prove myself behind the chair instead of saying yes to the things that drove me passionately inside or that Mm -hmm. I was really excited about or that were going to open up better opportunities to either new clients or industry events or things like that and you know, because that that client that's trying to get in at eight, nine, ten, eleven o'clock at night, like they're not going to refer you. They're like they're not they're not trying to like pay your price. They're going to ask you for a discount. Like you know, they're hey girl, hey, they like they don't care. <laughs> I'll be later. Those people do not care. Like they don't care. They don't care about what's happening in your personal life. Like you mean nothing to them. Mm-hmm. You are literally just like somebody in the moment that can like fix a need that they have that, you know, something going on. Like, and I think that looking back is like, that was such a huge thing for me was not allowing myself to put up boundaries because I was terrified. I think, I mean, it goes back to something that Gordon Miller told me one time was, Erin, they'll let you do it for free forever. (laughs) And we were talking, you know, and I was like, well, Gordon, you know, I just feel like we need to like, like I'll I'll do this giant thing for this brand for free because I want them to see our value first, mm-hmm. and then and then you know I'm sure they'll they'll want to work you know in whatever capacity we were we were working then. And he was like, yeah, I mean, but they'll they'll let you do it for free forever mm-hmm. until you make them pay. And I think a huge part of that came from me not being a hairdresser and feeling like, well. You know, I've got I've got to do all these favors and all of these things so that people accept me in the industry and see my value. Mm-hmm. And without without all the freebies, well, they'll they'll never they'll never see value. They'll never want to work with us. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I I struggled with that until before pandemic. You know what I mean? Like, I it definitely it is something so ingrained in me. I think mentally of this like. Prove yourself, you know, like you don't deserve it until you prove yourself, which as I'm saying, it sounds like maybe some childhood trauma. Well, we'll <laughs> jump right in there. But yeah, I mean, I think that like, like that performative, you know, whether it's performative love or performative acceptance, mm-hmm. I think we all have experienced that. Yeah. You know, and I mean, we're in an industry of performance. That's yeah. what we do every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to be on for your clients all the time. Yeah. Don't have a bad day. The customer's always right. Give them anything they want. Like those are things that we were taught. And it's, I mean, I love where our industry is headed because we are now we're talking about mental health. We're talking about boundaries. We're talking about burnout. We're talking about imposter syndrome, changing some of those, those stigmas and the way things are being taught in school. I mean, I think we all were taught very early in our career. You just, you have to grind. That like you have to you just have to work eighteen hours a day, and you know when I when I was coming up, we didn't even get this, and we didn't mm-hmm. get paid, and, you know, like we all worked with like hard asses, and and it just it's different now. It's different now. There is definitely totally. uh, some growth in the industry, which is was desperately needed, yeah, and I think really healthy, really mm-hmm. healthy. Alicia, have you transitioned into like a solo independent suite owner? 
Did that transition for you have to do with any type of imposter syndrome? Or what what made you take that leap into single ownership? 1,000% it had to do with it. I just <laughs> wanted to get back to enjoying doing hair. When you're managing as well at doing hair, hair gets political. Some of the events that you're doing, like you're having to go to events. I was just starting to see that for me, I am a extroverted introvert. And when I'm dealing with all of those, like non-site, you know, you're having to be on here and then you're on here and then you're segmented and like having to compartmentalize yourself a million different times, I was finding that I wasn't enjoying here. And so it was the first step in me creating a boundary. So I went out on my own and it was terrifying because I probably like Erin have this like childhood trauma where you're like, I don't want to do that. I feel like I have to prove it. And so that was the first step. And it was the best, it was the best step I ever made. Like I Uh am so glad because then from there, I was able to really fall in love with what I do. Again, I learned a lot about myself. That's where I learned that I also enjoyed educating. I mean, I would have never seen that if I had stayed in a salon with all the the noise that was going on. And um, and then I could kind of create my own environment uh-huh. because, uh-huh. And, and create the kind of space that I wanted to be in every day because I did come into this in- industry. I did not know what I was going to fall into. Uh-huh. And drugs are prevalent in this industry. And at the time that I was coming in, it was just the thing. And I'd never been exposed to that, not on that level, you know? And and I just didn't like, it was starting to impede on me. I didn't enjoy what I was starting to see in people. And I never want to see that side, just the, the bad side of people and not know how I could help them, you know? Mm-hmm. Or add value to them. Mm-hmm. And so I recognized that I needed to just kind of create my own space, create the space that I wanted to allow for growth. And that was the first step. I would never say I lost friends. That was something I probably would have said years ago, but I feel like that is not because that's a regret and I don't, re- I don't have regret. Mm-hmm. So I feel like my friend circle evolved. My yep. circle evolved. Mm-hmm. And and it needed to. The only way it was going to do that is if I made changes. So what would be your number one piece of advice to combat imposter syndrome? Um, Especially for someone who is brand new to this industry. I don't know. Don't think that it ever goes away. You're always going to be fighting it. But uh, continuing to know your why. Why you got into this. Why you, why this industry drew you. Why you want to touch people. Aside from the medical industry, the hair industry, the beauty industry is the only other industry where we have physical contact with people. So why are you here? You know, like if Mm -hmm. you keep that as your North Star, you may kind of have the inner saboteur try to talk. But if that's your North, your North Star, you'll always come back, you know? Erin, same question. You know, for me, it's been getting really real about who I am, who I am at my core, not who I want to be, 
not who I'm pretending to be, but like, like a hundred percent authenticity. Like, who is Aaron? And Aaron's a little bit of a grump. And like I said, she's not real fun. But you know, I I do have all of these other good qualities, and so it really has just been like figuring out, like, okay, who am I really? Mm-hmm. And getting okay with that. Yeah. Right. Like, because that's real easy for me to be. Like. I can be her all the time. It's just when I have to be these other versions that that become very difficult and exhausting. And yeah, I think when I when I learned to to really kind of use my I'm gonna call it occasional abrasiveness as a positive instead of something that I felt like kept me from being like one of these sweet little hairdressers who are they're mm-hmm. so kind and bubbly and, and all of these things. I I really learned to use it as a superpower and yeah. to take control of certain situations in our business that, you know, then allow us to to do things. Like something that I think is really interesting about you and Ariani is that you are so design oriented and I am very, very word oriented. And I struggle because I don't feel as creative visually as you do. But when you put us together, we have both, you know, pictures and words. And so that has been, think, find, find your compliment, you know, Absolutely. find, find the person that has the things that you feel like you need mm-hmm. and do life with them because yeah. you will then feel whole, you know, like you're never going to have everything you, but you have the things that I don't. And like, you're definitely more like rock and mellow and fun and like, <laughs> body well compared to me um, you know and and you do like see very visual and you and you like the graphics and, and all of it all of the things that i suck at you're so good that's what makes us work not that we are two peas in a pod and exactly like one another but that we fill in the gaps for each other Definitely. you know and so i don't i don't have to feel insecure about you know, about other things because like, I know that you're there and you've got my back and like, and we, we just, we smooth those things over for one another. Totally. A little side note on this convo is that I remember was quite a few years ago, you and I were having a conversation and it was about imposter syndrome. And I remember mm-hmm. that you were struggling so damn hard because you did not want to embrace the parts of you that are so strong and so like valuable as yourself. And I remember telling you, Aaron, be the Capricorn bitch that you are and embrace it. <laughs> and I just, I remember telling you that because you you were like, I don't want to like have to be the bitch all the time. And I said, that yeah. is where you're strongest. And not yeah. side, like Aaron is not a bitch. Like just anyone who's listening, side Aaron side is there. actually like, like, is really wonderful. <laughs> but like, in the sense right. of like, like she could take something and and so strongly just like go for it in that kind of like, you know, and a lot of times in our society, those women, women in particular are called bitches because they are not aggressive, but they are assertive. And I just remember telling you, be that Capricorn bitch that you are, because that is what is your strongest point about you. because mm-hmm. you are so assertive and that is that is your strength, you know? And I think at the end of the day, like we have to remember what our strengths are and and embrace them, you know? Mm -hmm. And we have to change that narrative too that society puts on us. 
Well, if you need a hotel upgrade, I'm your family. <laughs> so, yeah. No Yeah. I guess just to like round out this combo. Yeah. So like for me, I guess like my number one thing would just be, like I said before, think about who you do not want to be because it will point you in the direction of who you want, who you are, you know, because for me, like I literally had to write stuff down. I do not want to be like this. I do not want to be like that. And they were aspects of you know, people that were around me, family members, friends, and things that I was just like, I don't like these things about these people. And they were things that I sometimes saw in myself and I had to make Mm -hmm. a conscious effort to eliminate those things. And they have absolutely allowed me to embrace the person that I truly am, you know? And not only do like, I enjoy myself more as a person, but I enjoy life more Mm -hmm. in general because of it. But like yeah. Alicia said too, you know, like it's never gonna go away. No, it does. Like, what a life. Spoiler alert. Yeah, your life partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that little imposter syndrome. They're gonna follow you forever. But like, if mm-hmm. you honestly like these three things that we just said, like these three pieces of advice, if you take those things and just make an honest effort, an active effort to think about those and like move forward and stuff, like you will be who you are. You will find. Yeah the salon and the life and the community within professional beauty that that you will be a part of you know and i know that we we talk some trash about you know big hat girls but damn i love me a big hat so oh man i feel bad are you kidding me like yeah i'm like walking around in my little mini boots with with my jeans and i'm here for it i'm here for it i'll move straight to utah yeah i love it i love it (laughs) And I lived in Utah. I think that's like that's where I discovered the hat girls. I was just like, oh man, can I be you? Yeah, they're great. They're great, right? I just love them. I'm like, show me your ways. That neutral color palette, man, it's good. <laughs> Real good. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for this <laughs> incredible conversation. I honestly feel like we had a little therapy session. I appreciate you both so much as we talk together. (laughs) I know. And and everyone who is listening, like I, you know, I appreciate you for listening through this whole thing. And please know that Elise will be on more podcasts because we love her dearly. So you will absolutely be hearing from her much more in the future as well. And make sure that you comment on this episode. Let us know what things you'd like to hear or talk about in the future. Or feel free to slide into our DMs at Scissor and Moss Social on Instagram. You can listen to us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Music. We'll catch you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.